was uh, August of 2014. It was a beautiful morning, summer morning. The sun had just come up over the horizon, and there was a bit of an orange tint to the sky. And it was just a beautiful summer day. On this morning in August, my uh, uncle and I were scheduled to take a boat uh, back from Falmouth, Cape Cod, to uh, the North Shore, up to Newburyport uh, on the Merrimack River, Amesbury. And when I say take a boat, we were driving the boat between there and there. And so because of this trip, we had scheduled out and planned it out and uh, planned out every part of it. So the night before, we had planned out our direction, and uh, I had taken uh, multiple chart plotters and plotted out our course. I had it on a main chart plotter. I had it on a backup chart plotter. And then I had a paper chart in case both the electronic charts went down uh, to make sure we knew exactly where we were going, plotted out every buoy, every channel, every aspect where we were going. Then I, just for safety's sake, I downloaded on my phone another chart plotter uh, had an app on there to show, so we knew exactly where we were going, checked every weather app I knew to check, uh, and uh, checked, uh, consulted the tides and all of that, so we knew exactly what was coming on this five or six hour trip between Falmouth and uh, Amesbury. And so we get up on this beautiful morning and we left the dock with no problem. The water was smooth, the day was clear. And this was going to be a quick and uneventful trip. We get out into the vineyard sound and the water was still clear and smooth and uh, headed out towards Woods Hole to the trickiest part of the navigation because you're going around Woods Hole. There's multiple channels that intersect. If you've been down there, you've got the steamships that are going back and forth to the islands and you're kind of going around them and trying to navigate there. But we made it through into Buzzards Bay Buzzards Bay was a little choppy, uh, just some small waves and got through there, not too difficult, and got to the south side of Cape Cod Canal. Once you get to the canal, I mean, it's pretty protected. Uh, you're just going through there at a headway speed, and we, were, we thought it was great. There was no traffic in the canal that day. There were no boats to have to avoid. We were basically the only ones in there. Uh, what we thought was a great favor uh, we got to the other canal and found out was probably just wisdom on everyone else's part. Because when we got to the north side of the canal, the water looked very different. Uh, there were probably, I'm going to say the waves were about six feet. In my mind, they were like 20, but they probably were like six to eight feet waves and swells. And so we pull out of the north side of the canal and uh, sandwich. Uh, area right there, and look around, and the only other boats I see are Coast Guard cutters and tankers. And if you're not a boater, uh, if you're on a recreational vessel, you never want to be the only one out there with Coast Guard cutters and tankers. Uh, you'd rather see, you know, some sailboats and some small boats around, but it was just us and these tankers and Coast Guard boats, but. We were out there, so we kept going and up and down the waves and plodding along. I was, a, uh, I put it mildly, a little bit scary. Um, 
And my uncle is, has been boating a long time, and I, there's few people I would feel safer on a boat with than him, but I saw him gripping the wheel a little tighter, and, um, and it was a little bit scary out there. I know I was scared because later when I checked my phone, I had a lot of pictures from before we left the canal, and then a lot of pictures from later in the day, but none of this point in the day. So I knew I was scared because I would not even let go for 30 seconds to snap a picture of what was going on uh, to document what I thought was going to be the day I was going to die. Um, And I really say that a little humorously, but without much exaggeration. I've never seen, had a day in my life where I thought this could be the day that if one little thing goes wrong, we're done. Um, and you know, and, and if you've been on a boat, lots of little things can go wrong. And if one, if the engine quits, we're going to get rolled over and hopefully swim to shore, uh, would be our best bet. But, uh, so we're out there and we're going up and down these waves and we knew we weren't going to make it that day. We figured out it's, 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 there's no way we had gone. We had been going about an hour and I looked back and I could still see the North side of the canal. We hadn't gone very far at all. And so we're just looking around and praying. I'm praying that the engine doesn't quit, praying that we don't get a wave broadside us and roll us over, um, looking for what might float if that happens. Um, And so we we look at the charts and we radio into uh, Plymouth was the closest harbor and asked them uh, for, you know, told them we needed a safe place to stay the night. And uh, we pulled in there, and, and it was great. You know, you pull into the harbor, and it's calm, and I never was so grateful to see a harbor or to see, uh, to see land when we got on land and thanking God for uh, sparing us. I never knew how much I loved life until that moment. Some of you might have had moments like that, but here's the point. No matter how much we make our plans, and no matter how thoroughly we plan, life doesn't always go according to plan, does it? No matter how many backups you have, no matter how many contingencies you have, no matter how many things you think you can see coming, life doesn't always go according to our plans. Life doesn't go the way that we plan it. The thing about plans is that they never really go the way that we plan. Even the best made plans of mice and men often go awry. No matter how well thought out a plan is, there's always the outside factors that we cannot control. There's our plan, and then there's what actually happens. This occurs in every area of our life, including our relationship with God including things we set out to do for God. Let me ask you a question, though. If a good plan is needed to succeed, then when plan things don't go according to plan, does that mean you failed? If a good plan is needed to, to succeed in what you want to accomplish, then sometimes when things don't go according to plan and they don't go turn out the way you had wanted, did that mean you have failed? Does that mean you're a failure? And in this case, when we're talking about things that you accomplish or attempt to accomplish for God, does that mean God would consider you a failure? In the verses we're in today that be read, the apostle Paul talks about a plan he has to visit the church at Rome. Just like in our lives, Paul has a plan. But when he goes to exercise the plan, 
things don't go according to the way he had planned. This morning, we're going to discuss Paul's plan and what happened as we look at this. We're also going to learn three lessons about making godly plans. We'll discover what God considers success in our lives. If you want to make godly plans, here's three things that you need to keep in mind according to this passage. If you're going to make godly plans in your life, if you're going to live your life for God and plan out what's going to come, here are three things that you need to keep in mind as you do that. The first thing is this. If you want to make godly plans, your plan should always be subject to your present calling. Your future plans, no matter what they are, are always subject to your present calling. Explain that this way. Paul wanted to go to Spain. He says that in these verses. That was his plan. He wanted to go to Spain because to his knowledge, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of good news, had not yet been preached in Spain. And he was called to preach the gospel in places where it hadn't been preached. So it made sense for him to say, it's a godly goal, a godly destination. I'm going to go to Spain. And he said, on the way, I'm going to stop in Rome. So he's writing this letter to the Romans, first century church. And he says, look, he includes this in the letter. I'm going to go to Spain. That's my plan. But Rome, Italy, you know, if you, it's on the way. I'm going to stop in Rome. I'm going to be refreshed by you. You'll be refreshed by me. We'll, you know, I know people there. I know you guys. We're going to bless each other. You'll be able to bless me financially as I continue on to Spain. I'll be able to bless you and ministering to you. It'll be a great time. But I'm not going to stay in Rome because Rome already had a church. I'm going to Spain because Spain doesn't have a church yet. And I'm bringing the gospel there. So, he's, so he says in this passage, verse 23, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I'm, I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. Paul's plan was to go to Spain. That's his future plan. But he had also a present calling on his life that he needed to accomplish first. There were two things that were keeping him from going to Spain. John, I don't think this is working. Can you click to the map? There were two things that he, um, he needed to accomplish before going to Spain. One is he needed to continue the call to preach the gospel where it had not been preached, and that's what he did. But what Paul said is, I have fulfilled this calling. Here's a lyricum over... This thing's really not working. I can't even get the laser pointed to work. Yeah, I just put the map back on there, John. Now I'm switching slides. All right, I'm going to keep my hands off it. It's you. So Illyricum is up there in the center north of Corinth, and uh, you can see Antioch and Asia. And so he felt like he had to preach the gospel where it had not been preached. And he said, I've done it in all of Asia. And now, had he preached to every single person in Asia and every single village in Asia? No. But Paul's strategy was this. Plant a church in the cities, and then the cities will reach their region. And so Paul had planted and and others had planted and there were already churches planted in all these other cities in Asia. So he says, that work, that present calling is done. But he said, I got one more thing I need to do. Because it doesn't really make sense. If you see, Paul is writing his letter from Corinth. 
it would make a lot more sense if he'd just jump on the next boat heading west, go to Rome, and then go to Spain. But he says, I, I, I can't do that. I've got to go to Jerusalem first. So he says, I have to head east to Jerusalem, which is way out of the way. And then I'm going to go to Spain and I'll hit Rome on the way. And so Paul says this, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Why would he do that? He does that because his future plans is subject to his present calling. Pastor Marvin, I had it off. That was me. There we go. I see you trying to fix it up there. Don't waste your time. Um, Thank you, though. So here we go. So he says, look, I've got something to accomplish, uh, and so I'm going to go to Jerusalem first. And so, because this is what happened, Paul, throughout his missionary journey, was collecting money from all the churches that he planted in the Gentile territory so that they could send it to the Christians in Jerusalem. Here's why. The Christians in Jerusalem were suffering a famine. They were persecuted. They didn't have food. They were suffering physically. The Gentiles in the rest of the world out here They had physical blessings, many of them, and they had benefited spiritually from the Christianity, from the gospel that they had received that started out in Jerusalem. But there was still a lot of division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles. I mean, imagine, some of you have Jewish friends, but maybe they're Orthodox Jewish friends even now. But back then, I mean, Orthodox, imagine these Jewish uh, kids that were raised up their whole life, and so were their parents raised and their grandparents raised with this distinction between Jews and Gentiles, them and us. We have ways we eat, they have ways they eat. We are, we are over here, they're over there. There's this distinction, and all of a sudden Jesus comes, and the barriers are taken away, and, and, and the church says, no, now we're one. Well, there were still some divisions that said, I'm not sure we're really one. So Paul had a plan. One of his plans was, you Gentiles... We're going to take up an offering. I'm going to take this money to Jerusalem so they know you are a part of them, so they know you care about them, so they know when you hurt, they hurt, so they know that we're on board and we're all in this together. It wasn't just a practical thing. It was a theological thing. This was critical for Paul, that this offering be delivered and that the church understand and experience this unity, which is why he couldn't just send it with the local Brinks guys and say, hey, I've got this offering, I'm going west, you take it east and just make sure it gets there. Paul needed to make sure personally that this offering was delivered so that it was received in the right spirit. So he said, I gotta go to Jerusalem because this is an important work. Well, here's the point. His plan was to go to Spain. But his future plans had to be subject to his present calling. He knew, I've got to do this first. Even though my future plans are to go to Spain, I've got to take care of my present calling, my present responsibilities before that I go. His future plans were subject to his present calling. You have plans for your future. It's one of the things that makes you different from all the other animals on the planet as a human. You make plans. I mean, think about it. I I think it's pretty hard to believe that there's, you know, a bunch of zebras standing around a watering hole in in some village in Africa making plans of how we're going to go to Mars. (laughs) Zebras don't make plans like that. But humans do. 
You and I make plans. It's what differentiates us. It's what makes us human. Sometimes those plans are written down and thorough. Sometimes those plans are just informal. Maybe you have a plan that one day you'd like to be married or one day you'd like to be a mom or one day you'd like to be a dad or one day you'd like to go to college or one day you'd like to finish a degree. You have plans in your life. One day you'd like to own a home. One day you'd like to retire. Some of them are written down. Some of them are thorough. Some of them aren't as thorough, but you have plans plans. Maybe your goals and your plans are very specific. You've got benchmarks and you've set it out. 10 years from now, I'll be here. 20 years from now, I'll be here. 25 years from now, this is what I'm going to be. And you have very thorough plans that are marked out. If that's the case, then the very logical thing might be to take the shortest route from where you are now to where you intend to go. Maybe, it's, maybe it makes logical sense to take the shortest route from where you are now to where you intend to go. Jump on your boat, point the compass west, and go. Like Paul, though, your future plans are subject to your present responsibilities. So perhaps you're already a mom or a dad. Perhaps you're already a husband or a wife. Perhaps you're involved with a ministry that you have made a commitment to finish. Maybe you have parents who need you right now to care for them, to be there for them. Maybe you have education bills that need to be paid. Or you have people in your life that need you to love them and share Jesus with them. Your future plans are subject to your present calling right where you're at. Your climbing of the corporate ladder cannot come at the expense of fulfilling your role in your family. Otherwise, you may find that you get to the top of the ladder but have left everyone else behind and you're standing there alone. Your future plans, if you're going to follow what God has for you, are subject to your present calling, what God has for you right where you are right now. And it may not look very glamorous. Maybe you're like, I've got plans. This, this place I want to go is so great. And where I'm at is not where I'm staying, but where you're at is where God has you right now. And he has a calling for you and responsibilities for you. You know, we bring parents up here and they dedicate their children to the Lord. Really in that moment, what they are saying and what is being said before God and before this church is this is my present responsibility that I'm going to take this responsibility seriously that God has given me and fulfill it and not neglect it. doesn't mean it's the only thing you do, but it means it's not, it guides and is a part of everything that you do. One of the reasons we have to fulfill our present calling and that Paul had to finish the work he had started was so that he could proceed with the work with God's blessing. Verse 28 says, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul was saying, if I don't go to Jerusalem first, I'm not going to be coming to you in the full blessing of Christ. If I neglect my present responsibility, I'm not going to reach you with God's full blessing on my life. I need to fulfill what God has called me to do now, even though I'm closer to you. I can point the boat west. I can be there pretty quickly. I know you see that. You understand that. But the truth is, I've got to do what God's called me to do first. Otherwise, I can't come to you in God's full blessing. 
See, he has to fulfill his present calling in order to receive that blessing and go because he'd always be worried about, did they get the offering? Did it make it there? Did they receive it in the right way? Did it, did it do what I wanted it to do? Because he wouldn't have fulfilled what God had asked him to do. We've all seen the person who's moved forward with a plan at the expense of present calling. The parent who sacrificed their family to get ahead at work. The person who sacrificed their character to gain status. The child who never heeded the advice of those who had been there before and had wisdom to pass on. The friend who betrayed another to get what they wanted, sacrificing present calling for future plans. Paul knew a delayed arrival with God's blessing is far better than an early arrival without it. And so he delayed his visit to Rome, as we too must sometimes delay our plans when they threaten God's present calling to our lives. A delayed arrival with God's blessing is better than an early arrival without it. There's a story in the Old Testament, Exodus, where um, God is uh, kind of upset with his people that are out there wandering in the desert. And he's so upset with them that he tells Moses, who's leading them, he says, look, I've promised you a land. In fact, we call it the promised land. And I'm going to give you the land I gave to you. You can go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. He says, these people have so upset me. They, they keep just continuing to, to argue and, and anger me. Go into the promised land. I'll give you what you want, but I'm not going with you. You can have it. You can have your future plans. You can have what you want but I'm just not going with you. I don't know what you would say in that moment, but what Moses said is, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. God, if your presence is not going with us, if your presence is not going to be and go before us, then we don't want, we don't want the land without the Lord. We don't want it without you. We don't want it without your presence. We don't want our future plans without you. And so you can't, your future plans, your delayed arrival with God's blessing is far better than an early arrival without it. If God has called you to do something, then finish it. What makes you think, man of God, that God is going to bless your plans moving forward if you don't finish what he's called you to do right now and right here. What makes you think, woman of God, that if you walk away from the hard work that God has before you right now, that he will bless you in the future? Sometimes God needs you to do right here and right now before he's going to allow you to move on to the future. See, we sometimes want to say, well, I'm just going to move on and God will bless it. But God's called you to work right now where he has you. Perhaps you're sitting here saying, well, that's fine, pastor, but it's too late for me. Because I'm only sitting here today because I walked away from something God called me to do. Truth is, I walked away from kids or from a marriage, from family, from responsibility. So is it too late for me to experience God's blessing? 
And I would say yes, but for the grace of God. That's where God's grace comes in. God's grace comes in and says that it's not too late for you to experience God's blessing. God's grace comes in and says he can meet you where you're at. And he says, "Go." God's grace would say, go back, do what you can to fix what you broke, fulfill what you can fulfill, and then move on to what God has called you to do. There is grace in the midst of that. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. But I would say if you're in that place and you're in that moment and you're looking at, I have all these great plans for the future. This is not where I expected to be. And you are tempted just to throw out and walk away from the things that God has called you to do right here that don't miss the work and the blessing that God has for you. So your future plans... The first lesson we know about plans, godly plans, your future plans are subject to your present calling. God has work for us to do here and now, and if we expect God to bless us, we can't abandon the work that he has for us. Second thing is this, not only should your future plans be subject to your present calling, your plans should always be subject to God's will. Your plans should always be subject to God's will. Paul says it this way, So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul says, I, you know, I plan is to come. I want to go to Spain and I'll stop in Rome on the way by God's will. My plans are always subject to God's will. James 4 says it this way. Uh, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Sounds like a plan, right? This is where we're going to go, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Your plans, your future plans, are always subject to God's will. Making your plans subject to God's will is kind of like booking a trip or a travel on an online website. Book your trip, right? If you've ever booked an entire trip through a website, you know at the beginning of the process, there's a lot of decisions to make. I mean, the first one is the destination, but that's usually easy. You usually know where you want to go, but there's a whole lot of questions in between. And how are you, how are you going to get there? How long are you going to stay? Where are you going to stay when you get there? You book your hotel, book a bed and breakfast. How are you going to get around when you get there? You want to upgrade to a midsize? You want a full size? You want the insurance? All these questions. What are you going to do when you get there? You're going to buy tickets? You're going to buy, you buy tickets to a park or a play or all this stuff? And you get all this worked out and you go through it and you plan this wonderful vacation and you got all the boxes checked and you get your credit card information entered and then there's one last box to click. And what does it say? Click to Submit. And you've got to hit that submit box as the last thing. In fact, usually there's another screen that says, Are you sure? You want to confirm. You want to submit this. Click to submit. 
funny word, submit, isn't it? I mean, it has the one meaning that it's used for on that website. You want to submit your request and your forms. You want to submit the itinerary that you've scheduled. But there's another meaning too, right? Will you submit to the authority of another? And I think as Christians, if you're going to make godly plans, you've got to click to submit, but you've got to submit to both. Lord, these are the plans I've made. This is the best I can come up with, looking at your word, guided by your Holy Spirit, going on my experience and my wisdom, consulting people around me, praying through it. This is the best I've got, Lord. These are my plans. Click to submit. But Lord... I submit to you and to your plans. Because this is the best I can come up with, but God, not my will, your will be done. That's ultimately what it means to live your life and make your plans subject to God's will. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. These are my plans. This is the best I can do, but click to submit. And make sure your plans, whatever you do, if you're going to make godly plans, you can make your plans, but make sure you click to submit. Make sure you submit your plans to God. Because the truth is, often we make our plans and then ask God to submit to our plans. Here's what I'm going to do, God. Now bless it. God, this is, this is the plan. Now bless it. We make plans and then pray for God to bless them. Rather, we should make plans and that God pray that God's will will be done. Lord, I submit my plans to you, but ultimately I will submit to your plans and my plans are completely subject to your will, which brings us to our third point. First, our plans, future plans must be subject to our present calling. Second, our plans must be subject to God's will. But the third point is this. Your faith should never, your faith should never be subject to your plans. Your faith should never be subject to your plans. As we said before, things often never go as we planned. There's our plans and then there's what actually happens. Even a godly destination with godly intentions isn't always God's plan. Paul had a godly destination. I'm going to Spain. The gospel hasn't been preached there. That's my plan. It's godly. It's God-honoring. It's God-worshiping. It's a good plan. That's his plan. He's taking the gift to Jerusalem first in the east, and then he ultimately wants to get to Spain. That's the plan. On the way, he's going to stop at Rome. I went too quick there. On the way, he's going to stop at Rome. That's his plan. It's a good plan. There's everything godly about it. Gift to Jerusalem. Bless the saints. Help them experience the unity of the Gentile Jewish Christian theology. Stop in Rome on the way. Encourage the church. Bless these people. You know, be there. Be encouraged. Get the finances needed. Go to Spain to the unreached people groups. Take the gospel there and preach in Spain and plant a church where there's no church. It's a good plan. Here's what actually happened. What actually happened, though, was a little bit different. Paul did. He took the gift to Jerusalem just like he said he would. Uh, He gets to Jerusalem. He did not have the kindest reception. 
that he thought he would get. Gets to Jerusalem, and yes, he delivers the gifts to the Jewish Christian, but there are other people there that don't like the fact that Paul is bringing Gentiles in, that Paul is preaching, and Paul is, is bringing others into this faith with they, which they interpret to bringing into uh, Judaism and, and bring, uniting all this together. And so there are these 40 people who commit to uh, not eating until Paul is dead. And so they are, uh, they are committing to kill Paul. And in the midst of it, Paul uh, then gets and he finds out about this plot. His nephew actually tells him, hey, there's these people that are going to kill you. He goes and he says, well, you need to tell this to the authorities. He brings it to the authorities. And the authorities uh, eventually say, well, we need to protect Paul. And so they set out to protect Paul because Paul has already told them, power to the people, says, I'm a Roman citizen. And the authorities know, well, if you're a Roman citizen, we're going to have to protect you as a Roman citizen. And so he is in custody of these Roman uh, authorities. And then he goes before a ruler, and the ruler says, you know, that we're going to keep you here, we're going to try you, and they tried him, they had Ananias, the high priest, come, and they said, you know, what's wrong with this guy? And he brings his charges, but they really don't have any reason to try him. They really don't find any reason to keep him there. But they keep him in prison for two years anyway. They keep him in prison for two years and and he's in and he's subject to their authority. This is all in the book of Acts. He goes before these rulers and these authorities. Uh, And then they say, well, we could release him, but Paul, rather than being sent back to Jerusalem where there's people that still want to kill him, pitchforks and flames are still there, because they said, well, I'll just send you back to Jerusalem. Paul says, no, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. He says, he, he, he pulls a diplomatic procedure. He says, I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had the ability to do that. Any Roman citizen, it's like appealing to the Supreme Court. He had the ability to appeal his case to the highest law in the land. And the authorities said, well, we could have released you. We could have just sent you back to Jerusalem, but since you've appealed to Caesar, you got to go to Rome. And so after two years, he appeals to Caesar, and they put him on a boat to Rome. And so he gets on this boat and heads finally west to Rome. Well, he gets out of the Cape Cod Canal, and then... (laughs) And the waves are a little bigger than he expected. And the ship becomes under, under uh, this great storm comes up and rocks the ship. And these sailors are out there and they're scared for their life. They're trying to escape. They're doing everything they can. They're throwing their supplies overboard. They're throwing their anchors overboard. They're doing everything they can and they don't know what to do. And Paul prays and God tells them, keep everyone on the ship and everyone will be spared, even though the ship will not be spared. And so eventually what happens is they get shipped on the island of Malta. They're saved. He was almost killed because right before they jump off the ship, one of the guards has the great idea saying, look, all these prisoners are going to get away, all these prisoners on the ship, Paul and the others, so let's kill them and we'll swim to shore. And Paul's like, that's a bad idea. So he convinces the captain not to kill the prisoners and all the prisoners live and are able to swim to shore on the island of Malta. Great. We're saved. We're, we're in Plymouth Harbor, right? We're saved. It's, it's calm. It's nice. Except only Paul gets on the island. They're lighting a fire. And he gets bit by a viper. 
And, and I don't know what you would do if you got bit by a viper, but what Paul does is he shakes it off into the fire and it doesn't even bother him. And so twice he almost dies between the shipwreck, but you know, three times really, between the shipwreck, between the guys that want to kill the prisoners, and between a poisonous snake biting him, and none of this was in Paul's plans. But this is what actually happened. I don't know if that's a viper, but there's a snake. <laughs> this isn't part of the plan, but this is what actually happened. And then eventually, they're on Malta for three months. They get a boat in fair seas, and he goes to Rome. He got to Rome, but not the way he had planned to get to Rome. One of my... Uh, one of my favorite preaching professors, Don Sanukian, has this statement. He says, with God, sometimes the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag. We want to take the shortcut. We want to go straight there. But if you're going to make your plans with God, sometimes the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag because if he took you straight there, you wouldn't be ready for the destination and the destination wouldn't be ready for you. And so Paul doesn't get to go straight to Spain and straight to Rome. It was not as he had planned. He lives in Rome for two years in prison under Nero's uh, rule. There's some question of what happens after that. Uh, The Bible ends with him, uh, or the account of Paul in the Bible ends with him in prison in Rome. Much of history believes he was killed in Rome Uh, There are some who believe he actually made it to Spain, though there's very little evidence to support that. I think more likely he was killed probably right there in Rome. Uh, But he lived there, and it wasn't his plan to stay there, but he was in Rome. Paul's plan, maybe it looks a little like your plans, nice and neat and clean. Just going to do this, make a little layover on the way. This is what I want to happen. This is, but this is what actually happens. They look a little bit different. If you think back on your life, I imagine that there are places in your life that kind of look like that. We have our plans, and then there's what actually happens. When things don't go as we had planned, what do you do? Maybe you're tempted to doubt your faith. Your faith cannot be subject to your plans. And it certainly can't change when your plans change. When we make our plans as followers of Jesus, we want God to bless our plans, but there's what, there's what we plan and there's what actually happens. And as people who love God, when our plans go wrong, we can sometimes start to ask questions. Is God against me? Did I hear him incorrectly? Some people go even to doubt their faith. Maybe God... Does he even exist? Does he even know where I am? Does he even love me? Or some people will say, if this is how God is, if this is what he's going to do to me, then I'm out. Because this isn't what I signed up for. Because I signed up for sunshine and prosperity and blessing. I did not sign up for snakes and shipwrecks and cancer and people I love dying and hard times and losing jobs and difficulties. I didn't sign up for that. And if this is what it is, I'm out. But your faith cannot be subject to your plans. Because your plans are going to change. 
Things aren't always going to go according to plan, but your faith cannot be subject to your plans. We all know people who once believed in God, but when life didn't go as they planned, instead of altering their plans, they altered their beliefs. And they made their faith subject to their plans. What about Paul? Well, not Paul, because things didn't go according to plan, but at the end of the book of Acts, as he's in prison, here's what it says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, by the way. They had to pay their own expense in prison back then. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Doesn't sound like God. Doesn't sound like Paul what changed plans, changed his faith. His faith stayed strong even in the midst of his plans that changed. Your plans may change, but don't abandon your faith. Plans are always subject to change. God is not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what happens to our plans, he does not change. So back to our original question. Did Paul fail? And was Paul a failure? If failure is setting out a destination and never reaching it, then Paul failed. He meant to go to Spain and he never got there. He ended up staying in Rome and he arrived years after he planned to get there. So does God think that Paul failed and was a failure? Of course not. None of us are going to call the apostle Paul a failure. Why? Because success is not necessarily measured in our execution of our own plans, but who we are along the way. Success is measured by your faithfulness along your journey with God, not just getting to the destination you might have set out in your plans. It's how will you live your life in the destinations along your journey. Are you going to get to Rome and be miserable and say, this isn't the way I had planned it, so forget it? Or are you going to get to Rome and still be the person that God has called you to be right there at that moment and at that time? And when things don't go the way you had planned, are you going to be miserable? Are you going to say, forget this faith, forget it, it's been too hard, it's too difficult? Or will you live the life that God has called you to live right where he has placed you at that moment? Paul succeeded not because he reached his destination the way he envisioned, but because he never stopped following Christ or doing the work that God had called him to do. Paul submitted his plans to his present call and to God's will, and no matter what his faith, no matter what, his faith was never tied to his plans. We succeed not because all our plans work out, but because we remember who we are in Christ. Because in the end, it's not about what we accomplish or where we end up. It's about who we were along the way. Were you the person God has called you to be? Did you live out your life for Christ on your journey, no matter which way it took you? Perhaps your plan, you've been following your plan at the expense of God's present calling in your life, and today you know you've got to fulfill that calling. Maybe you've been asking God to submit to your plans rather than submitting yourself to God's will. And this morning, you need to submit yourself to God's will, not my will, but yours be done. Or maybe you've had plans that have not panned out and you're here today questioning your faith. Remember, your plans are always subject to change. 
but God never changes, which is why we, as his followers, look to do what he wants for us to do today. We submit ourselves to him, and no matter what happens in this life, our faith remains strong. Your plans may change. Your God does not. Don't let your faith be tied to your plans because when they don't go as you planned, then your faith will be questioned. But if you tie your faith to God, that doesn't change, then your faith will be strong. So we go into the communion time this morning and we close out our service with communion. I'm going to ask those who are going to help me to serve and the worship team to come and join me. But here's why I want to do communion at the end of service today. Because in the beginning, God had a plan. In the beginning, God had a plan. And his plan was that he would create humanity, men and women, and they would live with him and love him in relationship with him. And they would be in fellowship. And there would be this beautiful relationship between God and humanity. That was the plan. But the plan changed really quickly. Not because God changed, but because humans who God had given the opportunity to love him freely and to choose him to love him chose not to love him. And so the plans changed. So what would God do when the plans changed in that moment? What would God do? Would he throw out the plan? Would he forget it? It wasn't God who messed up the plans men and women who messed up the plans it was sin what would God do when the plan got messed up well as early as the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 God says I've got a plan I've got a new plan he tells the serpent he says you know you're gonna you're gonna bruise his heel but he's gonna crush your head In other words, he's saying, I've got a deliverer that's coming that will take care of the evil that's come in. I've got a plan. I've got salvation. I've got a plan right from the beginning. And God did not abandon his plan just because the plans had changed. God did not abandon his people because the plans changed. So he called a man named Abram, started a people all the while looking way down the line of history until through that man's line, the incarnation, what we remember at Christmas, God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come down and live among us and give his perfect life and shed his perfect blood to fix the plan that we had messed up. God doesn't abandon his people just because the plan changes. And we should not abandon our God 